Hello, everyone. Hello. Um, I'm going to pray real quick. Jesus, here we are again, Sunday together with family, wanting to know what you have to say to us, worshiping you, God. We can do nothing apart from you, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would open our hearts, that you would minister to us, that you would change us just even a little bit today. Thank you that you can use us, all of us, Lord God. However we show up, we don't have to be perfect, we don't have to be strong.
and things that shouldn't be that are. It grieves my soul to the deepest core of who I am. I don't even know how to function. It's paralyzing. It's got, it got to the place where walking on the streets of Berkeley, walking and reading the news every single day, being on social media, got to a place where it was so tormenting for me. I didn't know what to do. And I felt like the Lord said, come to me. Let me reframe for you what this looks like and what it means. Because all I could hear was what the world was telling me. It was basically the enemy announcing to me at every turn how he was winning. Look at the ways these people are not being treated the way. Look at what I am doing in your body. I am going to divide your people. I am going to make them dislike each other. I am going to make it so that when you walk down the street, all you can see is everything that is wrong and hurting. I'm not gonna allow your eyes to be able to see the good that he is doing because that is the way the enemy works. And I had to get to a place where All I can see, I, I don't recommend this. I don't think this, this is like necessarily the healthiest way for everyone, okay? This is not a prescription, this is just what I did. But I went and I put myself in a place where I couldn't see the announcements of the enemy anymore. And I got my Bible open and I sat there and all I did was I said, come Lord. I need you. And I said, Lord, my faith got small. I can't be a voice of hope if I cannot see you and what you're doing. And so I felt like the Lord just started bringing me back to a place. And so where we are right now and where, where I am going to be today is going to be incomplete. It's what I feel like the Lord has revealed to us up to this point. Um, it's the way that we will approach the ideas of justice here. It is not the only way. way that I really feel resounds with what my conviction and what our conviction as a house is to how we approach everything in the face of And so <clears throat> I want I think the very, very, very beginning, it seems really basic, but I want to just say that when 
the Lord created everything. Things were good. All there was was goodness. Adam and Eve only knew goodness. Nothing was lacking. There was nothing unfair. They both got the same. When God made man and woman, and he said that Eve was his helper, he wasn't saying she was less, and that she was there to serve him and be like his little helper wifey only by cooking his food, right? Like, things were... <laughs> they were in a good place. Nobody had died, nobody was mean to each other, animals aren't really mean to each other if you think about it. There were no mosquitoes, I think. I
to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, that they may be called the plant planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And you skip on, there's more good things, but to verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. He begins his ministry by saying that I care a lot that the world gets put right. And then in Micah 6, 8, it's a scripture people like to put on pictures and hang on the walls, but it's still a good scripture. <laughs> he has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. In Psalm 37, 28 to 29, it says, For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed, and the offspring of the wicked will perish. The righteous will inherit the land forever. And throughout the Old Testament, what you find is God writes in the book of Leviticus and in the law all these ways to set things right. To help humans relate to each other in ways so that we don't wrong each other. He's like, you guys need about a hundred million laws because you don't know how to conduct yourselves with each other. Don't sleep with your, your, your neighbor's wife. Don't steal their stuff. Leave their animals you know, all of this kind of stuff. Because he's like, man, I really care that we as people know how to relate to each other. One of the biggest problems, I feel like, the two of the biggest problems that happen in the, in the Garden of Eden is one of them is broken relationship between us and the Lord, and the other is broken relationship between the man, the, the man and the woman. Right. What God intended was for us to live with him in unity, in trust. And then the other one is also relational in nature. Was for Adam and Eve to get along, to, be, to help each other, to be one together and to rule and reign together. But what happened with the fall right, is that they now are no longer one, but rather in a way, competing, blaming the other for who's the one that did everything, starts to be, there starts to be accusation, there starts to be division, there starts to be lack of trust between the two. What she told him, what he told her, all of a sudden, those things broke down. And what we see in the state of our world today, I think, is human beings 
man to woman, woman to woman, man to man, not knowing how to love, how to engage, how to get along. And when you when when they asked, what is the greatest commandment? God, he, Jesus broke it down and he said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. If we break down what the mission of God is, what it is to do justice on the earth is two things, which is just completely also in line with those two things. One is to help restore relationships so we can love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength to reconcile and bring justice to our relationship with Jesus. And then secondly, to redeem and bring right order back into our relationships with one another. The second command was to love one another as ourselves. The first one is deeply, deeply important. The church sometimes talked about that. But then when we don't translate that into actual ways that we live, it starts to harm our witness and affect the ways that we can share and tell people that God actually loves them. That is why I believe the church today is in the state of disarray that it is. It is the, the, thank God, he's so much more powerful than our weakness. The church has been able to continue to grow despite what we have so boldly done in his name. But at the same time, if we could do both those things, we could then help restore people to the Lord, but that has to be done through something. It has to be done through love, through human relationships, through repentance, through sorry, through I don't understand, through I choose to see the best in you. And it would not necessarily be wrong because that would have been right. 
But in the New Testament, what we see is after Jesus, with Jesus, even before he dies, he says, I'm going to establish a new way for us to talk and to think about what this looks like. And where we end up is first there's perfect justice, then there's like God's attempt, not that God attempts things, but he creates like laws in order for us to kind of try to get there. And then he brings, and then he comes and he, and Jesus himself, he in the form of the Christ manifest, incarnate on earth, comes and he says, okay, now I'm going to make it possible through my death for us to get pretty dang close to justice. I'm going to show you through how my son has lived. We're going to study it. We're going to read it in the word. We're going to apply it. We're going to give you the Holy Spirit so that he becomes a part of you so that when you go out there, you can start to be a part of making things right. I'm going to enable all of you to be a part of me to house me in your body be a part of your thinking be a part of your mouth be a part of the ways your hands and feet go so that you can now show the world who I am because I've been trying to tell everyone that I am good that I am just that I care and value every person. When there is heaven, there's going to be a person in every single nation, people group. They're going to be speaking a lot of different languages. There is going to be beauty there. And I'm going to come so that this isn't something that's really difficult for you to obtain. But I'm going to make you guys vehicles and people who can understand what is right and wrong and true and be those who can start to make this world look a little bit like heaven. And how are you going to do that? Jesus himself, actually, let's turn to John. illustration, there's a lot of other verses in here, um, but let's just uh, look at Matthew 14. Um, so in Matthew 14, um, John the Baptist, Jesus gets news that his cousin John the Baptist dies. 
This isn't just like any passing person. It's not like some passing sorrow. This is like his family member. This is the guy who, when he was in the womb, John the Baptist was also in the womb. They were like high-fiving when they were in the womb. John the Baptist is like the one who laid out the path, the path and announced that Jesus was coming. They were in partnership. They were in ministry. They were working together. And then he finds out that John the Baptist dies. And immediately, what Jesus does in verse 13, what, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. When we say things like, go spend time with the Lord, it's not like some cliche answer. When, when I say that we, not I don't say this, what am I saying? When the Bible says that apart from him we can do nothing, it's pretty direct and commanding. And it unlocks one of the biggest keys to how we can even begin to walk into a life of purpose and mission. One of my greatest struggles, like I shared, with thinking about the idea of justice in the world and really just a number of different things, the racism, the sexism, the, I mean, there's just so many different things, right? was I felt like if I thought about one of them, I had to think about all of them. Like I didn't know, in my mind, I know not everyone feels this way, and this isn't like me copying out of like trying to engage, but for me, I was just like, God, I have a really hard time thinking about racism. If I don't think about all of the people groups who have undergone racism in our nation. I can't think about racism and not think about sexism. Because I still feel like women are treated incredibly unfairly. If I think about women being untreated unfairly, I deeply start to feel and fear what happens to children, our most vulnerable demographic of people on this globe. And when I start going down this thing, I, my heart started to get overwhelmed and so incredibly grieved. And I felt like the Lord was told me, like, there's godly grieving and there's ungodly grieving. I really believe that it's important for us to understand how to grieve with the Lord. Jesus didn't just come to bring rainbows and sunshine. He did come on a, you know, and suffer the cross. There is a very real part of grieving. But at the same time, The only way to get through the grief is to know that there's joy on the other side. And I felt like what the Lord brought me to was he was saying, the key to being able to really be effective in this world is to have such a robust, alive, faith-filled, 
supernatural mindset that has engaged and knows his face in the secret place. What we know here cannot change the world. What we live and what we are in here changes the world. When those things become real in here, where we go starts to change and shift. If we want to be people who see the world change, and I hope that we do, because that's what we long for. We want to be people who bring heaven to earth so that it reminds us. So when we tell people God is good, Jesus is good, they say, oh yeah, I see that in you or around you. But that has to come through that intimate, secret place. If we do not steward our, that place with the Lord, more deeply than our desire to have influence and impact, we will then become vulnerable to being picked off by the enemy as well. If we do not fill our eyes with the glory, the hope, the presence of God Almighty so much that we can see see the angelic and the supernatural and just what he's doing and that this world and everything that we do and we touch is merely a manifestation of all the activity in the unseen realm. And we become, we need to become people who do not react to the sin in our world, but rather we're able to see God and respond to what he's telling us to respond to. There is no way, and this is not me negating or invalidating, there's just not a way in our humanity at all for us to engage all the sin that there is in the world that needs to be fixed. In any given day, Jesus himself, when he came, the way that he, even in the face of his own mourning, the way that he was moved was he was moved by the presence and by love and by compassion as driven by the Lord himself. He was never, ever anxious. I think recently I heard, um, I think it's Bill Johnson who says this, and I actually really love it. It's like, we have authority to take command over the storms that we can see. Right? There's a story about Jesus being on a boat, and he's in there with this and all of a sudden a storm starts to go. And the disciples start to freak out and worry. And Jesus himself is in the middle of that storm, but he's not worried. And what I think the, the enemy would like us to do in this day and age, because we're inundated with a lot of information, is worry us. Make us feel like everything's so urgent. You have to have an answer right now, this way, now, immediately. And Jesus himself was in the middle of the storm, but he was able to just get up and say, going to be okay. And I really believe that as God gets bigger in our eyes, he will tell us, because he himself has done everything in order to try to make things right. This is, you, he cares more about this than we do. We have to know that about him. And so, if we're able to stay where we see his heart and we're able to believe in his power, 
I really feel like we can, we will start to see the areas that we care about shift and change. And not just a little bit. Like one of the things that we really are believing for is sustained revival. What that looks like is God coming to earth and changing things and seeing our schools, our workplaces, our communities, our nation change. If you can turn with me to Luke 18. We're going to be moved 
by the heart of God, and then we're going to respond. This isn't a passive thing. This is the way that we really believe we have to go about. This is the strategy that he has shown us here. And so for those of you guys who are interested, who, if you feel like, man, all the time you are able to see the things that need to be changed, that your heart is moved by compassion that comes from the Lord, we want to invite you, maybe like reach out to our justice prayer group or to Nancy who can funnel you to the right people who are leading it. It's currently in interim, but what we want is that the, if that's something that's on your heart, we want to have a place to direct it. And then when we know and we feel like the Lord is making it really clear that this is what we're going to do as a house, then we're going to apply like our hands and our feet to it as well. But if the thing, that's just for what we do as a house, but as a body altogether, the way that we hope that this is going to happen and mobilize is as we spend time in our secret places, as we are aware of what smooths us and what kind of gets to us, that we start to then find people who are like-minded or in those same fields. Not everything is meant to be a centralized activity or program that is directed just from, from the, the main, main church office. There's, we just don't have that kind of manpower. Or but what we hope is that we have a church that brings people from different, I don't want to say interests, that's too light of a word, but like calls, identities, passions, the way DNAs of how God has made them to champion and to reverse the, the things of the fall. Have them all come because we all meet Jesus here and then have you find each other so that you can be a support because I know it's really important for people not to feel alone and I think one of the biggest things when we're out there you know, not here on, a, on Sunday is we oftentimes feel like we're going to a work or we're battling these things by ourselves. But hopefully what we want to do is have the people who are called to the same things find each other. That's what we try to do with um, our Seven Mountains, or what are we calling it now, David? Impact makers. Right? Bring people who are in different spheres together so that we can talk about how can we be hands and feet in this way. People who care. And it's not that other people won't care, but what, what those people will be able to do is bring an understanding to other people who do not walk and are not um, gifted in caring about those things, words and understanding about those areas. Because we cannot all be great at every single area, but what we can do is help each other start to be more aware and prayerful and loving and start. And what could we do as a church, as a body of Christ, if we were all mobilized to think that way, all the different areas that we can start to see effectively changed. I think I'm going to stop here next week. I'm going to... Um kind of go into this a little bit in that from a different take, but um, would you guys just stand with me?
Holy God, we, um, we thank you that we get to step into being your hands and your feet because you care about this stuff. You care about the nations. You care about every single people group. You care about men, women, children of all shapes, sizes, abilities, colors. You came to save all of us. We all need you. And so, Father God, I pray today that for all of us, we would be inspired to go and seek your heart. To have our heart break for the things that break yours. But then also to have your hope for the ways that you want to see those areas change. In the place where hopelessness has set in, we want to break that in Jesus' name. God, you are a God of hope. The Lord says that you are hope for the nations. Nothing and no one else can save us and heal us and unify us and reconcile and restore us and the places that have entered because of the pain of the fall like you. So God, I just pray and raise your hand if you want them to come. We pray, Father God, that you would use us. We may not do this perfectly, but Lord, we want to be used. When we see you one day in heaven, God, we want to know that we didn't just make it there by the skin of our teeth. We want to know and we want to see your eyes say, well done. Remind us every single day, every second, how good you are. Remind us every second that there is not a single drip of love that is in our heart that doesn't come from you. And that your heart is way bigger. So let us make contact, connect with, live through how big, how powerful your heart is. We thank you for Jesus.